Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensured that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Jonathan Bowman Perks, a global leadership coach and leadership speaker working with chairs, chief executives, and top business leaders to help them achieve their professional goals. Jonathan, hello. Hello, Matthew, and uh, lovely to be with you this morning. Well, thank you for coming on the program. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's something which I've spent, I suppose, 40 years um, trying to understand. And for me, it's someone who encourages other people to do things they don't want to do and help them feel good about it. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Yeah, my personal leadership style has been very influenced by um, my father and also by the Royal Military Academy, Santos, and my time in business, 20 years in each. I think it was my father's personal role model example to me. He was a Royal Navy Fleet Air Arm officer who died saving the lives of two other people. And he's been a great inspiration to me. Of course. And that's why it's become my vocation. Now, do you find that in the world of business, it's easy to translate life, learn, life lessons from the military uh, to the civilian uh, side of life? Yeah, there's, there's some things which are transferable and there's others which are not. Sort of major war fighting in Afghanistan and the like um, with personal acts of courage and bravery take a little bit more translation. Uh, people don't have to die for their jobs in the businesses I work with now. Of course. But I think the qualities of being a fine leader, which the Royal Military Academy Santos uh, is world class at, I think many of those qualities are directly transferable. What sort of leaders inspire you? Yeah, uh, well, I, I actually, I think I'd go back to my, my parents because um, they are so influential uh, on my, my life. But I've also worked with other leaders like in the House of Lords, uh, Lord Richard Dannett, uh, who was my commanding officer when I was in the army. And running a podcast myself, I interview a number of leaders around the world. And I found a real mix of men and women across all walks of life. And there are certain qualities which I think make what I call inspiring leaders, but I'm happy to talk about that later. No, please carry on. Yeah. So um, I think if I was to take um, parents first, I think if I pick my father, um, he's the reason that I'm now coaching leaders and CEOs and teams um, because um, when I was an instructor at the Military Academy at Santos, I had a bit of a crisis having been outstanding for years. My reports, I suddenly got an average report. I wasn't used to getting average. and It was a bit of a crisis um, of self-confidence and loss of it, really, I suppose. Goodness, there's these people who are far better than me. And um, so I reached out to people who knew my father, had flown with him or been in the Navy with him. And I got lovely letters from all over the world. And I invited a few of them to come and have lunch with me. And while we're having lunch, one of them said, Jonathan, your father bought my ticket. I said, what do you mean? He said, he died in my airplane. I said, crikey. I said, what was happening? He said he was test flying as the leader, as the commanding officer. He was making sure they were safe for us. And the other guy to his right, Bill, Commander Bill White, said, Jonathan, he also saved my life because I was his navigator. The plane was on fire. He ejected me. But like the film 
Top Gun and Goose, he was killed when his ejector seat sent him into the tailpiece at 200 miles an hour. Right. And, and so they said, you have a choice. You can be a victim, poor me, no dad, mother, three boys on her own, age 35. Or you can see, make your father and your mother, who's a philanthropist, as your role model. So that's the life I chose, and not to be a victim, but actually to go and find good men and women who want to be better leaders and help them to be better. Let's talk a bit about your mother's career. Yeah, so so mother um, never remarried. She was so blissfully happy with my father, 35 years old. She was a widow. She thought she was going to be Admiral Sir Paul and Lady Perks, but it never worked out that way. So I think disappointments with that. But she had very strong values, and I think that's what stayed with me, you know, uh, moral quotient and legacy, leaving a legacy. And so she, she'd do things like, you know, Sunday lunch. We'd, we'd pick up little old ladies who were homeless and a bit smelly. Um, as a little boy, you thought it was a bit strange. Why is she having lunch with us? But because these people didn't have anywhere to go, and she'd get them to have lunch with us when we didn't have an awful lot of money. She would be in the cage for an Amnesty International looking like a, a prisoner um, on a float in the Halifax Gala. She'd, she'd collect rubbish in the, uh, in the park when we were on walks because it was you know doing a bit of community. And, and she did an awful lot for the community. And, and that's why my wife, Lee, and I have set up a charity for, for helping vulnerable girls uh, working with serious organized crime part of the Home Office because we want to put back into society like my mother did. Well, of course, it's so inspirational to hear about someone with that sort of a story still giving back. Um, please tell us a bit about your charity. Yeah, so it, it was founded by my wife, Lee Bowman Perks, and um, she wrote a, we both written books. Mine was Inspiring Leadership. Hers was Inspiring Women Leaders. And she wanted to give the proceeds to a, a famous, well-known charity, which to be kind, will remain nameless. And they said, yes, you know, you, you can have your book connected with our charity and have our logo on the front, but you have to give £100,000 a year from, you know, from your book profits to us. Well, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. There's no way she could make that kind of money. So she thought, I, I need to set up my own charity. You know, these, these charities, some of these big famous charities are putting far too much money into, you know, black limos and hotels. And right. Where's it going to the project? So she set it up. Um, she herself had been through abuse with uh, a previous relationship she'd been in. So she knew what it was like for women to be abused. And um, so she she really targeted vulnerable young girls who, who both in uh, Kenya, South Africa, and in places like Liverpool, Leeds, and Grimsby, where we work with the serious organized crime where the drug barons are using these girls on the county lines to deliver for them and then abusing them and the like. And this is what we're doing to help get, get them from education into employment and give them another chance and turn their lives around with mentoring and coaching. And it's amazing work that she does. Now, I'm very sorry to say, but our time is nearly up. But uh, mm. I would love to hear a bit more about what the next 12 months has in store for yourself and your charitable interests. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, learning from different leaders, um, their stories, and um, uh, preparing for the next book, um, but also coaching one-on-one -on -one and working with teams who want to be better at leadership. And for the charity, I think the next step is really spreading the work that we do around the country to help the 
many uh, needy, vulnerable girls and young women who, who've been through abuse. That's what we're planning on, Matthew. Well, Jonathan, it has been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. Uh, I very much hope that I have both you and uh, your wife back on the program at some point in the near future so we can have a, a far more in-depth conversation about your fantastic work. Uh, Jonathan, thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Matthew, and, and good luck with your program. That was Jonathan Bowen Perks, a global leadership coach and leadership speaker. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me who realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, of that caliber, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the 
recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years he, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organization, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think 
wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal 
And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's... Uh, <laughs> I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, in most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever. Which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we, um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact. to younger players coming in into the team laterally, um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a 
and a natural leader? Um, well, a play, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at There's that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions 
and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude (laughs) alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. the word is team. The word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.